Welcome to Happy Times and Places, a positively inclined Doctor Who episode commentary with me, Toby Haydock. Yes, we are doing this one slightly differently. I have, as ever, got a contributor, a special guest, in this case, Richard Marson, former contributor to Doctor Who magazine back in the very early days and writer of books about Doctor Who, to choose a particular Doctor Who story. He's gone for Terror of the Autons. He's also chosen his favourite things about it, but he would rather tell me in person. So we're going to watch the episode now, and then we'll hear from Richard afterwards. I will, as ever, be in the dark until he tells me what it is. So I'll be guessing along with you. So settle back and let's go for episode two. Welcome. It's Toby Haydock. Or is this just a plastic mask? Uh, no, it's me. Um, it's episode two of Terror of the Autons. So I want you to press play in three, two, one. Go. Uh, I paused at the end of episode one. Here we go. Episode two. Uh, I'm not sure we're ever quite going to marry up. Uh, <laughs> I'd love to get some form of consistency with that. But these things take so long to do anyway. It's not the setting up of the cameras, which does take a while. The editing afterwards. And I don't you know, edit any of the talk, but just the putting it all together. It's the fact that I've just spent 15 minutes trying to find the pen, which I had... Uh, which fell on the floor, and then I moved so I could have it for episode. So I've got a new pen and put it here. I'm I'm ham-fisted. I never actually finished explaining about ham-fisted bun vendor. In uh, I, I, I said that as I remember saying it as a I think to my partner that it was a it was a fun. I I called her one as a joke, and she said, um, "What does that actually mean?" And 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 why did Doctor Who use the the word? Uh, uh, that that sequence of words. I do like. I do like the fact that units in a castle, uh, and uh, and, uh, uh, and and that nice that just that nice moment of the of the bomb and the explosion. Um, but yeah, ham-fisted bun vendor is of course he thinks she's the tea lady. Uh, so uh, 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 so presumably, um, well, I don't know if vendor means that you you. Uh, Exchange token, or if it just means giving out. So, um, otherwise, is she charging for the cakes? But perhaps vendor. I don't. I thought vend suggested a certain exchange of money. Um, but anyway, bun vendor, seller, purveyor of iced cakes, buns, whatever. Um, ham fisted because she's ruined his experiment. Gives you ham fisted bun vendor. I like Robert Holmes's dialogue, but I think that one's quite. Uh, that's. <laughs> That's that. I think that is a unique combination of words that you would never find in any other circumstance. <laughs> um, schizoid dissociation, however, that's that. I mean, that uh, that that sounds pretty plausible to me. To uh, explain Joe's hypnotized state, um, and I quite like her sort of unblinking catatonia or, or i mean yes yeah, she blinks a little bit um but you know deliberately very slowly um and i remember reading an interview with robert holmes where he said he'd basically um invented mcdermott just to kill him off so i have to say when i started 
I think I read the novel the novel first. You know, when when McDermott arrived, I knew he was toast. Um, but uh, and, and now that's interesting because I remember when it was in black and white. I was never quite sure what color the chair was, or sort of quite what it looked like. And I do think the uh, and I and I wonder if it's partially to do with the quality as well. It, it does have a strange sort of amorphousness about it uh, <laughs> uh, and it's a uh, it's a pretty grotty looking thing but uh, the sadism of the idea of you know everyday objects particularly of sort of plastic tat becoming murderous is a very gloriously doctor who thing and i and i like uh, Having, having McDermott with the Irish accent saying it looks like a black pudding uh, and, you know, you won't say, I'll tell you that for nothing. Uh, and his, his reaction to the fact that the plastic is cold and clammy is, is I, I like all of that. I believe all of that. Harry Taub's great. Um, in a story that isn't sort of famed for its... It's not got many memorable characters or actors in it, really. I think that's another reason I thought I would struggle with it because there's not an awful lot to say about many of the characters or the, the cast. Everyone's sort of in and out, rather. Rather than Michael Wisher... Um, but it's, but it's not. I don't think it's his finest hour. He, he's been such. He's such a great servant to Doctor Who, um, that we sort of talk about his other parts more. Um, that's pretty grim, and I, uh, the, the 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 sort of the fact you can see the hand, um, and that's. I mean, it's done backwards, isn't it? So uh, only stops breathing there. So that's that's quite clever, especially as it's done backwards. Now this is a glorious line about termination of employment and he does and he does sort of regard the corpse of his old boss with a certain well, i don't know it's very effective he's not his old boss but his old his old works manager but but it's quite out of character for rex fowell who spends much of the rest of this being a gibbering uh, uh scaredy scaredy pants um I remember that clip being on the beginning of Resistance is Useless, the uh, the, the documentary they showed uh, before a repeat season uh, when I was at college and I recorded it. Uh, sorry, I've just remembered I forgot to do the claps at the beginning, which helped me to line it up for the editing. Uh, <laughs> that's another thing that's going to take time. Um It's a, the change of Joe to from Liz is another. I love Liz Shaw, but you can see that why they had elected for for a Joe type character instead. Um, having having Liz there to fulfil, you know, when when there's crossover with the Doctor, that doesn't necessarily really help with the companion. So Barry Litz's instincts as a direct uh, as a producer were were very sharp and of course you know this is his his period of him and terence sticks as producer and script editor uh produces a pretty consistent run on the show i would say stephen jack uh who's uh who, who was in treasure island with patrick trout in the film but was largely a voice man i think in fact he was a fellow of the royal society um because he wasn't just a voice man i think he he uh you know he worked a lot with voice and language um um, that, that, that's a nice line, isn't it? But he, he sat in this chair and just slipped away. Um, 
But yes, Stephen Jack and his son, who's just passed away of coronavirus, as I record this, in lockdown, which is one of the reasons behind the whole uh, commentary podcast thing. Uh, Andrew Jack, who is uh, Stephen Jack's son, was a, uh, a dialect coach. He was Karen Gillan's dialect coach on Guardians of the Galaxy, but he did all the big movies, um, Lord of the Rings, all, yeah, look him up, look him up. And he was the son of Stephen Jack. So obviously there's something in the genes about how they understood language and dialect. Um, and yeah, Stephen Jack was a, was a prolific radio actor. Um, uh, so, you know, an interesting story he has to tell. Sad, sad for, sad that Andrew Jack um, passed away due to this vicious thing uh, that has us in our grip. I like that the master's tie and pocket square are gold. That's amazing. And yet it still looks elegant on him. Black and gold. It works. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, Rex, Rex Farrell is... Rex Farrell's a tricky character because he's a... He is a bit pathetic. And I think Michael Wisher is a, is a terrific actor. Um, uh, but... Yeah, I'm accentuating the positive. I'm accentuating the positive, um, and it's 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 nice this early on that we have in Farrell Senior somebody who can resist the master because otherwise it just makes it all too easy for the master if he can just go around with his theme tune, <laughs> uh, intimidating everybody. Um, it's great that he's got a theme tune, and it's a wonderful piece of music. Um, and this is a bit, um, this always reminds me a bit, uh, 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 of the seeds of death where, um, uh, uh, water, isn't it? Water, uh, uh defeats the seeds here. You need a, a certain, a certain circumstance of temperature and or weather, uh, to, to make the, 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 the baddie prosper. In this case, it's the heat that, uh, activates the troll doll. And it's weird because looking at that, you sort of go, "What? What's the appeal of that?" I totally don't understand. And then I remembered when I was younger, trolls. When I was about eight or nine, there were there were these Danish troll dolls, but the appeal of them was the hair, and they were sort of cute li little sort of elfin things. But they had different sort of hairs, and you styled them with your hair, and you collected them. And I had one, and lots of people. There were all those sorts of little crazies that you had when you were kids. I remember there was a what were those. Those bags of water that were what were they called? Uh, and uh, you had, we had to give those back because apparently the water in them was bad or something. But they were a craze. There were various different crazes, uh, and so I can see why. I, I I think that doll is pretty horrible. But it says in the script it's a pretty horrible looking thing. Um, but uh, but I yeah, <laughs> it's it's pretty grotesque. And of course it's quite it's quite big as well. Um, Oh, Brigadier. And uh, yes, the Brigadier unit have uh, different military costumes. Uh, I think they work much better. Again, Barry, Barry Letts' instincts are right. I, I, I could see why they gave them different costumes for the invasion and for season seven. But Barry Letts rang the army and said, what would they wear? And they said pretty much what the army wear, except they would have blue. Uh, 
epaulettes, so they're called, and, and, and berets, but blue, of course, would have would have made CSO impossible. So uh, and, and we know how Barry Letts likes his CSO, so uh, he vetoed that. Uh, but and I know Nick, Nicholas Courtney preferred having this more sort of standard military costume and hadn't liked the uh, the, the Bobby Bartlett design, which had premiered with the invasion. Um, and I think that makes it a bit more realistic, a bit more grounded, uh, and I think that the, the colours just work slightly better. Um, did you... Easy love. <laughs> That's not the way to chat up a lady, Captain Yates. Um, uh, the, the, no, so they want... They were, the, you know, the, it's interesting to see, because we know that there was... You're acting like one. That's Captain Yates. Um it's it's interesting sort of seeing this where they're going shall we have a shall we have a love interest between captain yates and joe grant and then after not very long they go yeah i don't think we're quite gonna we're quite gonna suggest that they're interested in each other <laughs> uh, and i remember thinking i remember reading about mike yates and mike was quite a tough name when i was when i was younger tough pip Tough guys in tough things were called things like Mike and Ian. I remember my friend Peter Sato, who's a brilliant character comedian, did a, did a character called Mike Adams. Uh, and it was exactly that sort of 70s kind of, I've got a hairy chest and I wear brute and I've uh, I've got a chain and I talk like this and I'm Mike, I'm a tough guy. Um, and I sort of imagined Mike Yates being a sort of captain who was a bit rough and tumble. So I was quite surprised that... Um, and he's not the only one. Captain Turner in the invasion is very jolly. The sort of, I, I think it hadn't perhaps imprinted upon me that officers, you know, the an officer was a tended to be a sort of a, a, an upper class person. So that sort of that that jolliness is it goes hand in hand with with that. And 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 you know, if you're doing TV shorthand, you know, the captain therefore is a bit sort of jolly, whereas the you know the the non commissioned ranks are sort of more the sort of tough. Uh, tough guys but it, it it is a bit of a culture shock when you're expecting sort of grizzled grizzled military ease if you like when you actually get a sort of cheery boy scout uh who probably doesn't fancy joe grant um and it's, it's weird because i don't the the circus stuff i don't think really landed with me when i i first watched this but it is a novel setting for uh for a doctor who and that i mean i'm one does have disquiet now about how uh you know performing as animals are uh were treated and probably wouldn't want to think too hard about that although you know seeing elephants in the, you know in the ark they've got an elephant haven't they and it's like wow this is amazing so there's three elephants they're four elephants that's is, is that the most elephants ever in doctor who i think five elephants this is the elephant story. Like Joe's stashed herself in the back of the car, and that's John Pert was mate, isn't it? Bobby Roberts with his glittery jacket, who was the circus guy. Um, I love the fact that John Pert, we knew people at the circus. I know guys got a, I know somebody who's got a hovercraft um, or, or whatever. He, he, I think John knew John Pert. We knew a lot of people. You know, uh, shall I water ski? Um, uh, and. Uh, but the the circus setting actually, and the circus is a good. So I, I I'd like to perhaps see more of it because, you know, malevolent clowns is a very Doctor Who thing, isn't it? The sort of and the fact that the circus lot here, that they they sort of form a bit of a pitchfork mob a bit later on, um, 
which I'm not sure shows circus folk in the best light. Um, but I, I think they could have perhaps done more to, you know, invert the sort of jollity of the circus and turn it turn it grotesque. But I suppose they're too busy t- so busy turning everyday objects grotesque. This is more of a this is more of a just a, a more interesting backdrop perhaps than 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 your normal uh, the your normal base or whatever and and that's the function that it serves but um uh it it yeah it does it does mean we get uh, a setting we're not quite uh we're not quite used to um but again they're not they're not an awful lot of uh autons Roy Stewart though it's Toberman uh Toberman from Tomb of the Cybermen who having had a pretty decent part of a strong, silent man. Uh, Roy Stewart, who ran a gym. I think he ran a restaurant as well. It was weird because he was... I don't think he ever did any... When Tomb came back, they, they got most of the cast together. Uh, and, and they didn't get Roy Stewart. I don't know why. Uh, and, and yet he actually... He was around for a lot longer. He's no longer with us. Um, but as far as I know, was, was never interviewed. Uh, and he's great in Tomb of the Cybermen. Sadly, he's, he doesn't get to do an awful an awful lot in this, and it is a bit, bit of a sort of stereotypical thing going on. Uh, I, I, Rossini is horrible. Uh, oh yeah, Tony does it. Tony, the strong man, doesn't even doesn't even say anything. But um, I wonder how they sold it to the Roberts brothers as well. Will you, will you have your circus in the... Uh, Bobby, will you have your... I can't do impressions, but that's, that's my John Pertwee. Uh, but, uh, but, uh. Um, uh, would, yeah, could you have your circus in Doctor Who? Yeah, yeah, what, what are you going to do with... How, how are you going to show the circus? Uh, we're going to show you as largely unpleasant people uh, who are slightly crooked, uh, drink and smoke, avaricious... Uh, prone to, prone to pitchfork mob rule. <laughs> uh, uh, but 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 yeah, and so I think yeah. What's the positives here? Um, I well, I like I, I think John Bascom's great as as uh, Rossini. Uh, and yeah, and uh, and the, I, I do like the gentlemen don't talk about money. They they don't talk about. Gentlemen rarely talk about anything else. Uh, is I, is that from something else? I think it probably is. Um, and it isn't me. Yeah, I'd forgotten. Yes, I'd forgotten actually what a sort of thug he is. And they have actually the, the sparring between the two of them, the verbal spar between uh, Rossini and the and the Doctor is rather fun. It's, it's entertaining second string villainy. Um, and Joe is so game, isn't she? She's stowed into the back of the car. Uh, she's rung the brigadier and said, "The doctor's here, but I'm not. I'm not. I'm not waiting, brigadier. I'm going to go and help." Uh, and uh, yes, here's poor old uh, Christopher Burgess, uh, the professor. Uh, Christopher Burgess was at drama school with Bernard Kay. My friend, Christopher Burgess actually, he was at drama school with Bernard Kay and Maurice Perry and Rex Robinson. All of them, uh, Doctor Who. I just think they're all at the uh, Bristol, uh, not the Bristol, all at the uh, Old Vic Drama School together. Uh, if not all in the same year, but they might well have been. It's beyond me. Yeah. Uh, uh, and of course, the, yes, this is the, this is one of the insidious. It's John Pertwee's uh, Yeti on the loo in Tooting Beck, isn't it? Take something ordinary, uh, 
Tommy Reynolds is the uh, diminutive actor here who'd already been one of the chumblies uh, in Galaxy 4. That's effective. That works. Um, Mrs. Farrell's CSO kitchen. Uh, but it's... And, and, and actually, yeah, I do like the favouring of the feet for the sort of death kicks. That's pretty grim. So we've had, we've had, the, we've had the, 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 the McDermott's tapping hand on the phone episode one and then the, and then the death kick, which I think is pretty, because seeing a sort of post-death or during the sort of nerve reflex or muscle effects is, is a pretty grim, sort of, because it's, it's a sort of, it's like, you know, it's 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 a sort of cadaverous reaction in it. Although it, you know, it would have taken a lot longer to strangle him. I I I think the fact that it's a sort of in death kick uh, is is pretty horrid. Um, that's a good shot in the mirror, seeing Joe in the uh, seeing Joe in the window. That's very good. Uh, uh, oh yes, this is pretty grim. <laughs> yes, meat's very expensive. I shall feed you to the. I shall feed you to my circus animals. Uh, yes, Bobby, we'd be very nice about the circus. Uh, we just suggest that they uh, they feed people to their animals. Um, uh, but yes, Christopher Burgess, who we saw b- before, uh, had agreed to do my podcast. Who's round? He he was a resident at uh, Charterhouse, which is a a a, 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 a a, a retired person's home that also uh, has Robert Aldous, who's in the Dalek Invasion of Earth in it, uh, and uh, Richard Franklin. Um, uh, and uh, Christopher Burgess was poorly. He'd got dementia and emphysema and all sorts. But he actually agreed via Robert Aldous to do to do my Who's Round. And it was it was the summer and I'd got my kids and I was going through a divorce. So when I had the kids, I, you know, really had to be, be there for them. And... Um, but I really wanted to interview Christopher Burgess because he wasn't on any of the DVDs, and he's he's really good in this. He's really good in Planet of the Spiders, and he's 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 good in Enemy of the World. Um, and he was also in Joss's Giants. I was delighted when because I, I think I just got this on video when Joss's Giants was on, and I liked Christopher Burgess's. This. Then I watched Joss's Giants, and it was like the Barry Let's Rep because Jenny McCracken, who's in Carnival of Monsters, who I think was considered for Joe, who Barry Let's use a lot, and Christopher Burgess were the sort of two second string adults in it. And Christopher Burgess, all in that point later in his career, played sort of slightly dowdy, sort of Bicardigan, sort of slightly shabby older men. Uh, uh, and um, uh, and then so I, yeah, I'd I'd really wanted to to, to interview him. And and he'd agreed, much to Robert Aldous's surprise, because he was so poorly. So I thought, well, well what I'll do is I'll arrange it with the the sister because he was in the hospital ward. Um, you know, when 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 I've got the kids back to their mum in a couple of weeks, and and uh, we can do it. And then sadly, I got an email from Robert saying that Christopher had passed away, which was a shame. A, a friend did visit him at his home a, a decade or so earlier and had a bit of a chat to him. Uh, now I think, do you see? Yeah, he's... Oh, yes, blood. You don't see blood in Doctor Who very often. More often than you see five elephants, but still, nonetheless, blood is... That's the sort of thing that, as a kid, I'd have gone, oh, I see Doctor Who's a programme for grown-ups, because I was desperate for it to be a programme for grown-ups. Um, so, poor old Professor Phillips, but that's a very Doctor Who thing, isn't it? You, you appealing to the humanity latent in somebody that is being made to do uh, evil things. But, yeah, this is the... This is the friendly circus folk being portrayed as uh, uh, bat-wielding thugs. Uh, look at... Uh, but 
again, that's I'd love to see more of that of of sort of psycho clowns. Um, uh, I, I'd love it if the story had more, yeah, baseball bat wielding clowns doing the Doctor a mischief. Um, I think I think that's great. I yes, more of that, please. Um, I always think that Terry Walsh is one of the policemen. I always think he looks a little bit like Michael Caine. Um, and in fact, I think I met Terry Walsh once, and I think he said he was Michael Caine's official stuntman. I'm sure he said that. I, I, I think he said it. To, he was talking to somebody else. He said, "Well, I'm now Michael Caine's official stuntman." Um, and I, I can see there is a sort of similarity in in the look. A uh, bit, bit of CSO there, uh, which is very, it's very popular around this time. Um, I do, I, I do like the dematerialization circuit as well. There's something rather comforting about that. Like, like to see a bit more of the dematerialization circuit. It's a, uh, it's just a nifty prop, I think. That's all that Benton does in this episode. This scene, isn't it? Oh no, in this, no, no, no. He's in, he's in the beginning. He's in the opening scenes. But I think there's one episode where Benton's only in one scene of this, um, and and we have to look, watch out for where Nicholas Courtney is and actually Nicholas Courtney as well. But again, yes, Autons being policemen. This is a terrifying idea. Uh, again, it was one of those things you read about going, God, this must be the stuff of nightmares. Um, but I always think the mask looks slightly like it's got it's got drawn on eyebrows. So he looks a bit, I, th I think he does look a bit like Michael Caine when he turns around there. And now he looks like a mask. Um, that's actually not as bad as I was anticipating because I remember going, oh, come on. Um, and I quite like the new Auton faces. I think I prefer the ones in Spearhead, uh, even though those ones are actually... A better idea you can't you know they they haven't got gaps for the actors to breathe through and the actors to see through which is pretty obviously why the the eyes and the, the mouth are there and the spearhead autons but i think overall as a look i prefer the spearhead autons but um that sort of that sort of blankness again has the potential to be very disturbing if you want it to be oh my goodness i've just realized i've got to the end of the episode and have I chosen, have I got a favourite thing? Oh, gosh. There I am going, I nearly interviewed that actor. Um, I didn't say it like that, but you know what I mean. Um, now, what is my favourite thing about episode two? Of the oh, all right. Yes, and because it kind of ties in with a little bit that I liked in episode one, and it's only a tiny moment, but I think... And because I'm not going to be wild about Barry Letts' direction, because I, I, I think it is a bit more straightforward than, a, than that of a, of, a, of a Camfield or, or a Michael Ferguson um, or a Derek Martinez, you know, who the director's... Um, who I think really shine uh, during this period of the show. I'm going to choose uh... <laughs> So I don't think Richard Marson will choose this, but you never know, and I'm not going to play silly sausages. And try and second guess because that way always it's like when you do a pub quiz and you go oh is this a trick question and they go no it was it was just the question so I'm choosing 
Farrell Senior's Kicking Death Feet. That's what I'm going to choose. So now I'm going to nip to the future to speak to Richard Marson and see whether he has also chosen. And I get extra points if he chooses that exact sequence of words. Farrell Senior's Kicking Death Feet. Because it's grim, isn't it? It's grim and it's effective. Simple, but effective and also doesn't show anything, yet suggests something grimmer by so doing. Okay, let's nip to the future. Well, um, oh, let's go on to episode two I have written. But I, I guess as an intro to episode two, just because there were a couple of questions that I had, if you've got the time from, um, from your introduction. In terms of writing for magazines now, Doctor Who magazine, which I do, I sit on my sofa, I check the internet, I type things up, I file my copy by, my copy by pressing send. Um, how did you physically do it? What were you working on? Uh, and, and if you made a mistake, did you have to sort of start again? Uh, and, and did you have to sort of post with deadlines in mind and things like that? Well, I mean, the first thing to say is actually for the time, it was very well paid. And I say that because it's actually, if you look at it, I think journalism has got steadily paid less and less well to the extent that now people expect it to be free largely so I was lucky that even though you couldn't say that Marvel comics were up there with I don't know uh, the Sunday Times they were paying a decent rate for what you did and that meant I could invest in some actual kit and in those days the state of the art thing was an Amstrad twin disk drive word processor which I spent what seemed like a fortune on and did most of my work on and this thing used to emit very strange and peculiar noises um it was sort of like it was almost as though you were cooking the words you'd you'd type them in and then you'd hear this kind of you know and and hopefully the thing would save but i do have various hideous memories of typing up stuff and getting to kind of two o'clock in the morning um and then the whole thing crashing and you would just completely lose three thousand words in one fell swoop and it expected to be delivered the next day I would go to Pronto Print in Durham where I was at university and it would be faxed because that's how state-of-the-art it was I would fax through my copy that I printed out on my crappy Amstrad printer which also used to make used to go <coughs> and I would get people knocking on my door Toby because I had a television and a video and I had this Amstrad and they were all kind of in the, in the early to mid eighties, quite science fiction in themselves. So people would knock on my door from other colleges in the union and say, excuse me, I hope you don't mind, but I've heard you've got this, you know, computer. Can I have a look at it? And it was always generally the boffins from the sort of science colleges. So, you know, I hope I was kind and didn't say, you know, take your BO out of my bedroom. Um, but, uh, but, it, but the, you know, that was it. I, I had this amazing technology, but it was sometimes not so amazing. And I, I can remember literally weeping at the thought that I've now got to redo the whole thing. Otherwise, it's not going to make it to Marvel in time. Oh, my goodness. Well, I, we say that as I'm recording this on uh, on Zoom. And if anything goes wrong, that's all gone as well. So we're, we're always prone to the same uh, the same terrors of, uh, of, of modern technology <laughs> losing our stuff. Well, look. Um, I have chosen my thing from episode two. In episode one, I managed to choose the one thing you didn't like about the episode. So let's see if we're a bit more in accord. What is your favourite thing from episode two of Terror of the Autons, please, Richard? Okay, so I have gone. There's a moment with a chair. So the moment when uh, the chair eats poor old Rex Farrell's 
business colleague. I think he's a he's supposed to be a business colleague of his dad, mm-hmm. and he comes in and and you know there's this whole kind of scene where you see Roger Delgado at his finest. And he commands this sceptical bloke to take a seat in this novelty chair, which were very popular at the time. And my father had something not dissimilar, which added to the terror of then seeing this thing smother the poor man inside. And, and, you know, it was so of the time, you know, Robert Holmes obviously had great fun riffing off every contemporary use of plastic. Um, I think Doomwatch had done a plastic related story too. So there was, you know, it was obviously in the ether somehow, (laughs) but it was really, really horrifying i mean if you want you know even watching it now and even noticing that they i think they did it in reverse so it's a video disc effect and you can see the actors having to help it along a bit even without that something because of of the memory of it i find it terrifying to watch now and of course there is the brilliant sub james bond line at the end where they ask for his cards and they say he just slipped away which is um, (laughs) some fantastic a children's program very callous <laughs> well we're we're on similar lines here not quite um although we're both reveling in death i went for <laughs> <laughs> i went for farrell seniors kicking death feet because i find the way that they they depict the death of um rex farrell's dad when he gets strangled by the doll instead of seeing him get strangled you just see his feet sort of kicking and that's quite un doctor who that's quite sort of it's minimalist, and yet because it's minimalist, it's actually even more horrible than, uh, than if we'd seen it. Um, it is a story of inventive death, isn't it? <laughs> it it's quite, what's extraordinary about it now, looking back, is, you know, I had a lot of dealings with Barry Letts back in the day. And, you know, uh, as a man, I mean, he was just the most lovely man i mean kind generous thoughtful no pushover i mean he could be tough and he could he could certainly do his job as a producer he was a seasoned bbc pragmatic producer so i don't think he was he was he wouldn't take pity on someone and say oh i'll keep a rubbish lighting director because i you know i'm a nice man i think he had high standards but then to watch him do a program like this knowing how i mean i think he thought of it as a mistake actually um because he was directing the show as well as producing it and i think you can tell he very much had his director's hat on not his producer's hat so a lot of the decisions about what they showed and that's a really good example you yeah, I'm not even sure you'd show that now. Certainly years later, I remember we did a, 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 a Blue Peter with a lot of clips from Doctor Who. And we got into real trouble because some of those clips were seen as really unacceptable for tea time. And my, I got out of it in the end when I was hauled over the coals by saying, but these things were shown at five o'clock, albeit in 1977 or 71 or whenever. And in the end, they had to go, oh, Oh, oh yes, well, okay, you know. But in fact, standards had shifted, and actually, Terror of the Autons, as you rightly say, is a kind of smorgasbord of 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 death and and horror, and you know, and it's it's all done with a kind of relish. <laughs> <laughs> well, but talking about that, I mean, it's interesting how I remember, you know, when when I was young, a, a knife was seen as a sort of fairly low-key weapon, you know, a death by knife you could sort of have uh, in a film or a show, whereas guns, because they blew things to bits, were a bit, were a bit yeah. more sanitised in a way. But a knife was put, a knife through the chops or in the, ble- in the back or is it, was, was a sort of acceptable form yeah, of dispatch so- in a children's show. Knives now, you wouldn't let anywhere near anything that teenagers are watching. Um, it's, Absolutely. Right. Well, it's interesting, in schools, most schools have the zero 
even for a toy knife. So, you know, I think that has culturally become a, a no-go area. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know what Richard chose uh, at this particular juncture of space and time in which I'm exiled. I do not. You do. Uh, did he choose the same thing as me? I suspect he probably didn't. Right. Um, so, um, uh, I'm off to turn off all the radiators, lest my dolls come alive and strangle me. Uh, and you can go and do whatever you would like to do, and then come and rejoin me for the next instalment of Terror of the Autons. I shall see you then. But for now, ta-ta. Thank you so much for listening to Happy Times and Places, which is presented by me, Toby Haydock. My special guest at the moment is Richard Marson, who you can find on Twitter at Richard Marson 2 That's the number two, not as well. A shout-out to this week's featured patrons, who are Ruben Herfindahl, Rob Leonard, Stephen Moffat, Richard Straw, Mark Aldridge, Sebastian April, Tilt Areza, ARCH Presents CIC, Simon Ash, Martin Bellum, James Blackett, Robin Bland, Kyle Bores, Hugh Buckman, Anthony Carroll, Anthony Carroll, that's not a glitch, there's two of them, Susan Christian, Steve Churchill, Paul Colnaghi, Peter Crocker, Sarah Crotzer, Dave Curran and Rob Dawson. The music for this podcast is specially composed by Dave Gates and the podcast artwork is by Dylan Patterson. If you love the way I read those names, you can join them by going to patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydock and becoming a patron. There are various tiers available, but you all get a name check and exclusive videos and advanced content. There's also ko-fi.com forward slash Toby Haydock if you just want to make a one-off donation. If you don't want to donate financially, and I totally understand we live in trying times and this stuff may actually not be worth anything, but nonetheless, if you're listening and liking, please, you could help me if you go to your podcast outlet and rate and review this positively. It just helps to get the word out there. And there's a video version available if you want to see what my sofa looks like, and that's on my YouTube channel. And if you subscribe to that, that would be marvellous. <laughs> For the past 24 years, I've run a critically acclaimed comedy club called Excess Malarkey, and during lockdown, as we don't have a stage, we've gone online to twitch.tv forward slash Excess Malarkey, and we do a live comedy show with four special guests every Tuesday at 8pm. <laughs>